0: Welcome back to the 212 podcast, bringing you closer to the people in the arts, entertainment and events industry. Our guest on the podcast this week is a Grammy award-winning drummer and percussionist. His career covers more than five decades and is one of reggae's most recorded drummers. He has most notably played with Bob Marley and the Wailers and Toots and the Maytals, and is just generally a, a legend of music. The longest drum roll possible for Mr. Paul Douglas. How are you and where are you today, Paul?
1: I'm good, thank you. I'm in Florida. I'm home in Florida
0: today. Nice. Is there ever a day where it's not sunshine in Florida?
1: Well, yes. As a matter of fact, it's raining as we speak. It's been raining for a few days now, but we've had some nice, hot or warm days. So
0: there you go. I've jinxed it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess that, let's let's take it back to when you first. Uh, so I mean, five decades is is an incredible uh, achievement for for just for any uh, profession, but. In music, in particular, it's just it's it's amazing, and I guess when did it start for you, and and where did it start? You know, growing up.
1: Uh, Well, I started at a very young age. There were family members. Um, I actually had an uncle who was a drummer, so I'd say I started messing about, maybe. 10 years old or
0: in that area. Where, to where was that? Where, where, where was it where you grew, grew up? Well,
1: I'm from St Anne in Ochoiris, but I moved to Araka Bessa. That's in St Mary, a little town in St Mary. And uh, a popular town. I actually live close to... Golden Eye, which is Ian Fleming, the guy who wrote the James Bond books in that area. And I had other friends in the area who liked music, and we all just got together a couple of times and tried to play or listen to songs on on the radio and try to imitate guys, and it went from there.
0: Is it a, a prerequisite for yeah, uh, being a, in those surrounding islands that you do play music? I just feel like everyone is just always joyous and, and constantly playing uh, playing instruments.
1: Yeah, well, the thing with Jamaica, well, I find that we are influenced, even at a young age, by different genre of music, uh, more so the American music, jazz, Latin funk, and of course with the Rocksteady or the Ska in Jamaica, we kind of combine all of those things that we were exposed to at a young age and just come up with different ways of approaching the music. So out of that came Rocksteady, and then it went to reggae
0: and all that. Who were you? You were saying there about um, you know the the influences around the area. Who who were you looking up to when you were younger?
1: Sam Cooke was an influence because of my dad, Otis Redding. I guess artists like Bob Marley and Toots and Ken Booth and Leroy Sibbles, you know. People on the coxswain label are Duke Reed, John Holt. As a young person, and I got older, I was influenced by all of those people. I also played with Tommy McCook and the Supersonics, which was, he was the leader of the scatolites I don't know if you heard of the Scatterlites. Yeah. And he formed a band who was recording band for Treasure Isle. So I became a, a student musician, and then I played with Boris Gardiner.
0: Was that a kind of pinch pinch yourself moment when you did when you got into that?
1: Absolutely. I, these are people I admired all my young life. As a matter of fact, barely in the Dragoners. As a young kid, I always I said I used to tell people that. I am going to play in that band one day, and they would laugh. Because it, it was the biggest thing in Jamaica. Byron Lee was, I mean, all young musicians aspired to um, want to play with Byron Lee's band or the, the Supersonics or you know, those guys. And I actually got the opportunity or the chance to play with them. It was nice. I I couldn't believe it.
0: I I guess you you said it out loud, but did you actually believe that you could get there? Was was it wholehearted uh, self-confidence?
1: Yes, I always believed in myself, but I'm kind of a reserved person. I I didn't go and tell anybody or try to say, I know I could do that or something like that. I just believed within myself, and I worked hard, and I tried to be disciplined, and I learned as much as I could. And I asked questions from you know, older musicians or guys who were m- more experienced. I would listen, and I would ask questions. And when I got to Tommy McCook and the Supersonic, it was unbelievable.
0: It sounds like you're uh, an introvert disguised as an extrovert.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, uh, you could call it, you could say that. But I I always think that if you find yourself in a situation that you know you can do something, you don't have to, for want of a bit, to be a show-off or something you just always be humble because you're always learning. You never stop learning. It doesn't matter what you know or what you think you know or how young or how old you are, you're always learning and experience teacher wisdom. So the more you learn, and I was fortunate to associate myself with these great musicians, although I didn't realize at the time how important it was! I was just happy. I was just a happy kid, and I'm playing with these guys. And then you realize know,
0: how important it was? You thought you'd uh, won the lottery.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. I would say, yeah, absolutely. I would, I would say that.
0: Um, did you? You mentioned oh, I was reading in Sam Cook there. So you got to play with some of the the people. Did you get to play with them? No, I,
1: I was a young kid and, and I no, I didn't. not I, I, I saw them because they came to Jamaica and my dad would take me to some of the shows and all that kind of stuff. But I actually played with Al Green years later. I got the opportunity to play with Al Green. As a matter of fact, it was a festival and I was playing with another band. Which is Leroy Simmons? I was his band leader because I was in Canada, I was living in Canada for a while, and they had a a festival at L- Lamport Stadium. I don't quite remember the name. I think that's the name. And they said that something had happened to his drummer, and he wanted a drummer. And I figured, I'm saying, but there are six other bands down there. Why? Somebody else can do it. And I lived far away from the, the venue at the time. And nobody else wanted to do it because they say they had to rehearse.
0: How old were you then? Like in your, in your 20s? Yes. Uh, maybe about
1: 25
0: or
1: something, about that age. But it ha- so happened that I thought that it was like the regular songs that he was playing, uh, all those regular love and happiness and all that kind of stuff. Only to when I got on the bandstand, I, I realized that it was when he changed the gospels. So I never knew any of the songs.
0: But so, so it wasn't "Let's Stay Together," "How Do You Mend a Broken Heart." It was.
1: Absolutely not. And I thought, to be honest, that's what I thought. So I was wondering, why is everybody, you know, running away from this, this, this? Every? In Jamaica, you learned, we guys, we, we know every song, especially American songs. So I, I couldn't figure out why they were running away from this, only to find out while I was on the bandstand. But to be honest, I didn't panic because of playing with tutsibert over the years i mean that man is something else because he consistent he 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 changes the music in the middle of the shows that is his thing you rehearse one thing and he comes with something else
0: to keep you on your toes
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but it was fun it was so much fun. It was, I mean, we guys enjoyed it because you have to be, you know. It was like James Brown in front of you, but it was absolutely a whole lot of fun.
0: I did wonder about that, um, in in particular. I guess there's this two two questions really. Is is what made you drum over everything? I know you mentioned your your uncle there, but um, how what was. What was the movement to find your, your band members, I guess, that you played with for a significant amount of time? How did that come about?
1: Well, as a kid, there were like there was a, a drummer. There is a drummer called, um, his name is Joe Isaacs. He played for Studio One and he played on a lot of songs. And when I saw him as a kid, I I said to myself but I could do that too. So that was my first influence because I didn't realize I thought you had to be a grown man because all the people I was seeing playing the drums and you know playing at clubs and all that kind of stuff. I've never seen a kid and I saw this kid playing and then from there I guess Tommy McCook and Lloyd Nibbs, who was the drummer, they heard me playing and they they needed a drummer. And they just figured that this kid could fit in, in that band, which I was shocked, to be honest, that they thought that I could, you know? But I think it's from there that I met all of these guys because, most of the current members are the ex-members of Tootsie's band were from Tommy McCook and the Supersonics. Like Jackie Jackson, Winston Wright, Hoxbone, that we all played in session. And those guys brought me into the session, business, especially at Duke Reed, where Tommy McCook recorded most of his songs. So I met those people during that time the early stages, and we just became friends, and then we started playing at all the studios. It was like a group of us of recording musicians playing at Federal, Dynamics, Joe Gibbs, Harry J, and we were playing at all the studios. And that's how I met those guys, and and it continued.
0: People kind of dream about that though, don't they, as well. You just mentioned that that, you know, if you could have a job where you're with your friends every day, that's I mean, that's an easy win, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Music is it's just something. I just love music in a whole and not only reggae music. I just love music in a whole. Doesn't matter what genre it is. I just love music.
0: I do want to get back to I do want to get to uh, the genres of that you like later on, but I, I guess as we're we're talking about it with with Toots and the Maytails, um in particular, when you first started, is there is there a time when you realised that you were getting bigger?
1: I I, you know, I've never considered myself as getting bigger or anything like that. I've always been very appreciative of whatever came my way. I always thought, and I was taught by my parents to be humble and to be respectful. So to me, it wasn't getting bigger. As a matter of fact, it's only late that I realized that I was a part of something like the history of reggae music, because even over the years, although I played on so many songs, it wasn't as if, oh, I played on this song and I've never even talked about it to anyone. Sometimes people would say, let's say, Pablo, would it, I didn't know that you played on this or something like that, because I don't say anything. But I was always grateful for the opportunity to be able to play on records, because that was part of my dream. And I didn't pay attention, even to be honest. When I heard the songs playing, I would go and listen and say, oh, that's me playing. I never did for some reason. I actually never did.
0: Is that because you're focused so much on what you've got, you know, in the present moment of, you know, that you're constantly looking and thriving to be to be better at, at your own craft?
1: I, I, I would say yes. I would say yes to that. I'm always trying different things, like how I would approach a role, because I listen to people like Steve Gadd and Harvey Mason And although they're not reggae drummers, but they are drummers. So there are things you can always learn from, especially people that you admire and all that kind of stuff. Because I have a a son who, uh, he's a very good drummer and he's been playing lights out from me. He was like five years old. And I learned a lot from him also. I always felt I could learn from Everyone, even in my studio days, I would ask questions of saxophone players, guitar players, because I love the guitar, keyboard, you know? And so I would always have an interest and I would take things, are approaches, uh, different approaches from different instrument when I'm playing my drums. You know, I I would be playing and I'm singing a bass part, or I'm singing a keyboard part. It's just something that you know I've developed over the years. But
0: I feel like people would be if you're asking them how to do to do it better. I feel like they'd be like, um, but you're Paul Douglas, you you know how to do this. I feel like people would be shocked that you're trying to learn more. You know.
1: Well. <laughs> That's how I was brought up. And, 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 you know, my parents, especially my father, would tell me that you're always learning and never be afraid to ask. And I try to instill that in my children. And even with the drums, I play the drums and my son plays the drums. And I, 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 I would see him do some things. And although I can hear it, it's not always what you hear is what is so i would ask that question somebody would why would you ask your son it's because i don't know it's information i i i might be correct in assuming that's the approach or that what, that's what the role is but until i ask that question it, i i won't know
0: did you, um, with your son playing the drums? Now I've I've heard this. I mean, you hear it in sports uh, and and music as well, where you know people have kids and they've they always talk about how their kids are better than them, even if they've you know, as as you are, you're a Grammy award winning uh, drummer. But did you advise against uh, drumming to your son when you were growing up?
1: No, I I saw that he had the gift, you know. If my daughter, I have a daughter and she sings very well. But I've never like, pushed my children into music because they're talented. I don't want to restrict them, of course. But I've never said to them, you have to do this or you don't have to do this. It's about the love of the thing. And if sometimes... If especially kids, and that's just for me. If you push a child or force them to do something, it can turn out not too good. And I've always thought about those things because I wasn't pushed, but it was recognized that I really loved the music. And you know, I would practice and which is the thing to do. Sometimes not as much as I would have liked to, but I, I, I was really dedicated. I, I felt that I could get opportunities or to get where I want to, if I, I dedicate myself or my time to practicing and, you know, just do the right things.
0: Back to the, I guess the toots and the matos in, in particular. I, I wondered what the um, uh, you talked about being being friends there. I wondered what the chemistry was like um, over the years. I mean, you, to be going for that long with with people, you'd obviously have disagreements at at some stage, obviously. But I mean, you still come around and you're still together. You know, uh, I wonder what that chemistry was like in the band growing growing up and and with the band.
1: It was absolutely. Great. Wonderful. That man was, he was the greatest as far as I'm concerned. He was such an awesome singer. He could sing anything, any style. And he was like a brother. He was like, my kids would call him Uncle Toots. You know, because that's the relationship that we have. We don't always agree. Nobody does. But it was all about. The, that that chemistry that we had. It was like I enjoyed playing with him so much because it was like I was in his head. I knew every turn for whatever reason, and don't ask me to explain. I knew which way he wanted to go or when he was going there. It was
0: unreal. But I guess people think of that like in relationships, don't they? If you if you've got a partner for years, then they think you can do that. But I guess in friend friendships and work, you have the same thing.
1: Yes, and and something like that doesn't. It's unusual because I I found that from a long time ago, like in playing in a studio. he would change things in the middle of the recording. And for some strange reason, I would hear it. It was like I knew exactly where he was gonna go and the bars that where he wanted to stop, whether it was seven or nine or four hours, even or uneven. And I just got over the years, I got accustomed to that so I knew him like it, it was unbelievable.
0: Did you all uh, did you all write the songs together, or did you, uh, or, or was it mainly one person?
1: Well, yeah, he wrote most of the lyrics. The lyrics were written by uh, Toots. The music, the arrangement of the songs, and and a, a, a lot of times he was instrumental in putting his ideas, but based mainly by the musicians you know we came up with the music he would have the songs and ideas which is basically what happens in a, in a studio with musicians um, musicians don't get the credit that they deserve but that's how it happens someone comes in and just singing something sometimes you might find a, a singer will come in with his music are his own arrangement that happens but most of the time especially in reggae music it's the musicians that does most of the work
0: what were your, what were your favorite songs i know it's really difficult it's to pick but i guess uh, what are your favorite ones that maybe you have like a more of a sentimental you know uh, love for
1: Oh my goodness! There's so many songs. You mean a Tut song, or just a toot,
0: a toot, I guess I mean essentially both, really. If you if you've got a toot song, that that would be great. But if you've got another song that you've been a part of, uh, or that you've loved writing, uh, I'd love to hear both.
1: Well, Monkey Man was a favorite of mine. That was recorded at Dynamic Songs. And pressure drop.
0: That's my favorite, by the way. Pressure drop.
1: Yes, uh, sweet and dandy was another one. Most of his songs. I mean, there's so many.
0: I, I can't recall. Was uh, it was it weird hearing them on the when the, for the first time on the, on the on the radio?
1: No, not to me. Because like I explained, that's how I am. I'm not listening for a song. I am not, even that Bob Marley album, I played a Soul Shakedown album with Bob Marley, and it was on a Beverly's label. I wasn't even listening for the songs. As a matter of fact, I found out years after that the album was released. I I didn't even realize it was. So I don't listen for the songs. And even everything I own, which was, I recorded at a different studio, which is federal, that bread song, that Ken Boot that became a hit in the UK, I recognized the day when that song was being recorded, because it took one whole day for whatever reason. But for some strange reason, for that particular song, I just felt that it was a hit. And Another song was Ken Booth, Freedom Street. There's a fire. Rivers of Babylon. That by Pluto Shervington. A lot of those songs I kind of felt, but I wasn't listening out on the radio, listening to the radio and said, um, I recorded that song and it's, I wonder when it's coming out. It was just a session and like a regular day, I just go to work, play, and I'm gone.
0: It's crazy that that happens like that. And and you mentioned there as well with which I wanted to talk to you about is is Bob Marley in particular um, with the the songs that you that you collaborated with with him. Is was that a different kind of person? Was that like an aura around him? Um, and how was that working working with him?
1: I found him to be very genuine, a really nice guy, but he was a serious musician. He was a serious musician. When, when it comes to his music, he doesn't play around. He he had great ideas, but he would allow the musicians to think, because that's what you were there for, to give him ideas along with his ideas, and he had some great ideas, as the world can see. You know, he was really a nice guy, really quiet. He just came in with his guitar and he just sang, you know, no problem. In those days, I would ask him questions and he would just answer instead of thinking he's Bob Marley and this. I mean, he wasn't that big at the time, But he was always that artist that, you know, that someday nobody knew, you know, the level on which it would have been, it would reach the heights. But you always knew that something great was going to come from this guy.
0: Which I would imagine would have been just amazing to be around, to feel like, oh, there's something big is happening here.
1: Yeah, but he wasn't, from my experience, he was just a regular person. I remember early in the days, in my younger days, he used to pick me up to go to the studio himself and his friend, a very good friend, Skill Caller, when he had this little VW And I always have those memories are always, will always be special, you know. He would come and pick me up to go to the studio. And that's Bob Marley wanted me to play on his record. Wow. You know, that's how I got to play on Small Axe. That's the first recording of Small Axe. Was recorded by myself, Jackie Jackson, Hawksbone, Winston Wright, Gladstone, Anderson, and Rod Bryan we known as the Beverly's All-Star. Because that's how it works. You played when you play at different studios, but we guys used to play at so many different studios that they dubbed us, say, you're at Federal, we're the Federal All-Stars, when we're there. You're the Dynamics, <laughs> you're the Dynamics All-Star. So we were Joe Gibbs All-Star, um, Derek Harriet, all stars. Uh, we, we, <clears throat> Lee Perry. We played for him also. But Clancy Eccles, we are also known as the Dynamites. But Clancy Eccles wasn't an all He called us the Dynamites with with King Stitch and all this kind of stuff. Jackie Jackson, myself, and Winston Wright played all of those songs.
0: I did want to talk about that with the the diversity, and, and again, as you're saying, you're playing with all these different things. I think maybe there's some genres of music that might get a certain uh, assumption or stigma that they only like that type of music. I'm thinking heavy metal or reggae, perhaps, but I mean, you, when I was looking looking it up, it's You've played with Rolling Stones, Willie Nelson, The Who, Dave Matthews' band, Sheryl Crow, all these, these bands that might not necessarily be associated with reggae. And I, I wondered if you weren't playing reggae, what type uh, of music you feel like you would be playing and what, what music like you, that you love as well?
1: I think it would be R&B because I love the funk, you know? I, and I love, I love smooth jazz which is another thing. And I did a lot of that back in the day in the hotels, because I, I, I played in my younger years, I played in hotels. As a matter of fact, I did an album with an American guitarist. I don't know if you heard of Eric Gale. No. He was a jazz. He played on um, Mr. Magic. I don't know if you heard that guitar solo. That's that song called Mr. Magic.
0: No, I don't know that one.
1: Yeah, I, I did an album. He's an American guitar player, jazz guitar player. And he actually came to Jamaica and asked me to play. And this guy is somebody that I admire. I'm, I couldn't believe that's another thing that happened to me in, in my career. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe he asked me to play. I was playing somewhere and he just came in there and said to the promoter that you can you ask this kid to come to the studio. And I think the band I was playing at at the time played a lot of cover American songs like and I was always into groove. And I was taught that by Al Jackson, I don't know if you heard of Al Jackson. He used to be the drummer for Booker T and and some Otis Redding and all those guys. And I met him a long time ago because a lot of those guys used to come to Jamaica to record. And, you know, there I learned a lot of stuff from him. You know, like grooves and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. So I just incorporate everything that I learned but if it wasn't for reggae and I don't consider myself a reggae drummer I'm a drummer because I try to play every or any genre music you know, that's how I was brought up playing different type of music
0: would there be a genre that people that you love that people probably been shocked at that you have loved?
1: I don't think so. doesn't matter classic it doesn't matter what it is. I will go to a, a concert and it's just classic music because I'm always learning something, and you can always take something from that and put into reggae or any approach to as an R&B or whatever you're doing. I, I just recorded a Phil Collins song in the air, and I did it in soccer. So it's different. Of course, that recording that he uh, did of the song in the air was, I would classify that as unique. How his approach and the drums and how he played the drums so I did my thing, you know, with the drums leading, but with a different approach.
0: It's quite an iconic drum moment in music, I guess. That that Phil Collins. Yes, did.
1: absolutely, absolutely.
0: Um, one of the other things I just—it's—it's it's hard. Not—it's almost like the elephant in the room is that. I mean, you, you've been going for five decades, it's up fifty years plus in the in the industry, and I wondered you know, you're still uh, playing and you're still, you know, as you said, you want to learn. And I wondered just, uh, I mean, how do you find the energy to keep playing and keep going?
1: You know, it's, it's all in the mind It's mind and body. So first and foremost, you have to take care of your body, your mind and body mind first, you cannot do something. I don't think you, if you're not genuinely in love with what you do and you're happy within yourself with what you're doing, you know, it becomes, I don't know, it's, it's, it's boring then. Or, or you get to a point where you say, why am I doing this? I have never said that. It is always fun, and I always look forward to... I could just go somewhere and hear a band playing. I just stand there and just listen. And it's like I'm playing because I'm so into the music. And it could be smooth jazz. It could be reggae. It could be straight-ahead jazz. doesn't matter what it is.
0: You mentioned that you're with your mind and body as well, uh, though, uh, Paul. Is there... Anything that you do outside of music that keeps that uh, fresh?
1: I exercise a lot. I think that's important. Not as much as I used to. I used to run six miles every day, but I don't do that anymore. I walk. I, you know, I ride biking. Just basic exercising to keep your mind and to, to feel good. I get as much sleep as I can, because that's very important, that's most important, very important.
0: And you probably eat well on tour as well.
1: Well, that is something. I'm very fussy about what I eat. Even when <laughs> I'm on the road, I would prefer not to eat than to eat something that I don't know, or... That I'm not comfortable with. I will not do that. And I, I don't drink or smoke. I've never done.
0: You've never, you never drunk or smoked?
1: No. Wow. And I, I was never curious. And I know how it might sound because I've been around people who, and I don't have anything against people who, don't. I respect, that's their thing. It's just not my thing.
0: It's, you've probably been more present than other people that you've been in uh, the company of uh, the, if there's something kicking off or a party or something you've probably been more present than most people who uh, have a penchant for uh, alcohol or drugs or or the like
1: Yeah. yes absolutely um, if, if I have a party at my house which I do sometimes or I used to I used to have where I invite my uh, musician friends people like Robbie Shakespeare and Willie Linda, or whomever, Ken Lazarus, whomever I invite, they know that I don't smoke. So nobody would smoke in my house, and that's out of respect. But it's a party, so they're drinking, and that's fine, you're having fun. I would never say to someone that you can't drink, but I am not going to. But you have fun, because that's what it is it's a party.
0: We we did uh, we spoke about this earlier as well and um, it uh, before the the podcast uh, was recording. But um, it, you you live in Florida at the moment. You grew up in uh, in Jamaica. There's uh, the Canada situation as well. I wondered where have you lived and what have been the best places that you you have lived and and has it all been music that's taken you to those places?
1: Jamaica to me. There's no place like Jamaica. I mean, there's a feeling. It's nice to travel and to go other places. I made a decision, you know, years back that I I just felt like I wanted, I want to get the experience of living somewhere else, you know, just that experience. And I went to Canada and I loved it. It was cold, of course. It was like night and day because all my life I'm accustomed to warmth and this frigid, cold place. But it was nice. It was disciplined, and I loved it, and I'm happy that I went there. And then, you know, I decided I want to go someplace else. Because my family was in the States, most of my family, and I decided. But it's been music there in Canada, music here, music in Jamaica. So it's been good. I would think all of them are great. I enjoy living all in, in all the places.
0: What do you um, what do you think of mu- current music, Paul? should I say that? You should, yeah, you should. I think it's, uh, it's important. I think there's a lot of people that um, probably feel the same way. Well,
1: I love a lot of what's happening now, especially with the, some of the younger kids. You know, I like their approach. Not everything, to be truthful, but I respect everyone's approach and their ideas, I, I really do. I'm not one to critique anyone's ideas or anything like that, because to me, every, everything is what you hear in music and not what I hear that is necessarily the, the right thing. So I don't go around or critique or try to say anything bad about anyone's music. I enjoy everything and like I said before, I always learn from everything. So even if it's something I'm not fond of, I still listen because I know there's something I can learn from that approach or this person. You all you're always learning. So therefore I'm I'm the a listener. I would prefer not to say anything and just listen. Because I know at the end of it I'm going to learn something
0: i mean that's fitting of the whole of ep- the whole um episode that we have i mean you you're an incredibly humble person which is which is is crazy to me for the the the, the amount of work that you've actually done but i wonder just what the um how, how you think i mean you've, as i say like five decades how do you think the industry has changed as a as a whole um is there anything that you can see for the better or is there anything that you can see where there might be some troubles ahead i guess
1: Well, there have been some changes in the sense of the music, especially now you have dance hall or reggaeton or just different things that that some ideas that the kids, even in hip hop, the kids are coming up with, which is very interesting. And there can be some improvement always because some songs or some productions are being played with machine still, which is not something I was ever into, but it went there and it came back and it seemed as if it is going there again with the the machine and but it apparently is working you know the record companies are liking it and the records are selling and i guess that's what the business is all about whatever is required and it's available then people gravitate to that and business it goes on
0: yeah i Uh, I guess we're coming to the uh, the end of the episode now, and I just wanted there's one more thing. I think I just wanted to ask you, and I know it's really difficult because you've, uh, as I say, it's been it's been a long time since you've been in the industry, and you started really young. But what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in music?
1: I think I maybe would be doing something in art. I, I, I would be, I consider myself to be a, a very good swimmer. And I always to go to the Olympics when I was young, because I thought to myself that I was that good, because I grew up literally in the, on the sea coast. Being so close to goal, and I and all the kind of stuff, I would go over there and practice swimming and all the kind of stuff. So that is something that I thought
0: about. For a place of uh, three million people, uh, Jamaica, uh, it sure does produce a lot of athletes. Y-
1: yes, because they have. I don't know if you've heard of Champs, which is all uh, schools get together at a certain time of the year. And they produce all these talents. Young kids come together in high jump, long jump, track and field, mostly track and field, that the young kids as to go to that level. You had Donald Quarry, you had, um, and before you had, well, everybody knows Usain Bolt, but there were so many even before those guys, that all the kids want to be, and everybody wants to be Usain Bolt or Asafa Powell, and you have on the women's side, you have Shelley and Fraser. So all the young kids now want to be those people, are hoping that they could get to that level one of these days.
0: It's Merlin an t- time to be Jebeken.
1: Yeah, yes, absolutely. I feel proud of those kids, it's unreal. I, I've, I've known, I've met some of them. I've been to champs a couple of times. So I've met some of those kids, but I'm extremely proud of them and proud of the country. And like you said, for a small country to produce athletes on that level, it's just natural, I think it's, I, I don't know something about the island i, I think why. your
0: glowing your glowing review of uh, jamaica and the pride that i can hear in your voice i think that's a good place to to leave it so paul douglas has been amazing talking to you um, really do appreciate you taking the time and, and and thank you thank you so much it was my pleasure